The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Sex, lies, and wildfires. This is Thursday, October 12th, 2017. Thank you very much for diving in and for supporting this free independent news when you use and bookmark the Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. The fires continue to burn in California. Trump is threatening to cut off aid to Puerto Rico, and a Trump advisor says there's only a 30% chance this president will make it through a first term. But let's start with the bigger picture. How's your national security? A week ago tonight, Donald J. Trump stood alongside some of the nation's military leaders and their families posing for pictures. He teased reporters present with, you guys know what this represents. Maybe it's the calm before the storm. What storm, Mr. President? You'll find out, said Trump. He repeated it all the next day in the cabinet room and winked. And that's what worries us. Two-thirds of us say Trump's teases and taunts and threats are making the North Korea situation worse. More about his latest threats in a moment. But fewer than one in ten of us think he's saying the right things. Most of us are nervous, which is the opposite of national security. After Trump tweeted Tillerson that diplomatic efforts with North Korea are a waste of time, people got even more nervous. And then Trump tweaked it up a notch, adding, only one thing will work. It was another sign... Trump had military on his mind. Russia and China were each so startled they issued separate statements calling for restraint. Apparently, that's what Generals Kelly and Mattis are for, as you will soon hear. In a meeting on July 19th, Trump told his national security leaders their advice was like that of a New York restaurant consultant whose poor judgment cost the business money by wasting time. And he asked that they fire our commander in Afghanistan. That's when these generals and advisors decided this might not be the time to get Trump to say yes to a new Afghanistan strategy they'd put together. They decided having so many people in the Situation Room might have caused the president to lose his focus. So they decided to continue the pitch the next day at the Pentagon in a smaller meeting with fewer people. And maybe Trump could then be more focused. At that Pentagon meeting the next day, it was just Trump, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. In that meeting, they covered Afghanistan and U.S. military operations around the world. In the discussion of North Korea and nuclear weapons, Trump said he wanted what would be a tenfold increase in the number of U.S. nuclear weapons, and that he wanted more weapons in general, and more troops. Trump denies now that he asked for that tenfold increase and is now threatening to strip the broadcast networks of their FCC licenses for reporting that, for reporting what he believes to be, quote, pure fiction. Singling out NBC, Trump said it's frankly disgusting the way the press is able to write whatever they want. People should look into it. If Trump were to look into it, he'd know the First Amendment guarantees that people in this country can write or say pretty much whatever they want under guarantees of free speech and free press. But those who were in the room say Tillerson and the generals were surprised at Trump's nuclear proposal and tried to remind him that the nation's military strength is greater now than it was when we had far more nuclear weapons. They showed him a chart showing how U.S. nuclear weapons have decreased since the late 1960s and that increasing the stockpile would be illegal, breaking numerous treaties. And they reminded him that an increase in nukes here would mean more in Russia and then more in China, and the global arms race would start all over again. It was a long meeting. And after it broke up, after the president left, that, we know, now, is when Rex Tillerson called Trump an effing moron. Republican officials have reportedly discussed the possibility that General Kelly, Trump's chief of staff, and General Mattis, the defense secretary, have discussed physically restraining Trump if he reaches for the button. How's your national security? There is tension inside the White House where Trump is reportedly angry, feeling he hasn't gotten enough credit for his handling of three hurricanes. Sources tell the Washington Post Trump is frustrated by his own cabinet, with Secretary of State Tillerson high on that list after reportedly calling Trump a moron. Trump has since responded, I guess we'll have to compare IQ tests and I can tell you who's going to win. That's his Secretary of State he's talking about, our representative to other countries. 
In his anger and frustration, Trump has lashed out and burned bridges, including ones he himself needs. He's inflamed the culture battles over birth control and the national anthem. He's practically blown up his deal with Democrats to protect undocumented immigrants who were brought here as children. It is the job of Chief of Staff John Kelly to repair and try to prevent the damage. That has proven to be nearly impossible. One White House insider compared Trump to a teapot whistling to blow off steam. That insider told the Post that when Trump does not blow off steam, he can turn into a pressure cooker and explode. Quoting the paper's anonymous source, I think we are in pressure cooker territory. But the Post says it spoke with 18 White House officials in all and that all agreed Trump is becoming increasingly isolated. The paper quotes a Trump loyalist as saying his presidency could be doomed. Presidential friend and advisor, former advisor Steve Bannon, is quoted in a new Vanity Fair article saying there's only a 30% chance Trump will make it through an entire four-year term. And Bannon reportedly told Trump that his greatest threat is not impeachment, but the 25th Amendment, which gives a president's cabinet the authority to remove him from office if they feel he's unfit. But Trump hadn't heard of the 25th Amendment. What's that, he asked. And certain members of the cabinet may be thinking about just that. Trump advisors and prominent Republicans tell a Vanity Fair reporter they worry the president is unstable and unraveling. They describe Trump as losing a step, unfocused, and increasingly consumed by dark moods. At least two sources confirm Trump told former security chief Keith Schiller, quote, I hate everyone in the White House. Trump is, meanwhile, making enemies of the people he needs to enact his agenda and who may or may not save him from impeachment. Looking back at the health care votes, it's clear Trump cannot afford to lose the support of a single Republican in the Senate, and yet he has. Trump needs Tennessee Republican Senator Bob Corker and other Republicans to push through his so-called tax reform plan and to help him out of the nuclear deal with Iran. But Trump doesn't mind public fights, which he dives into with, increasingly, the wrong Republicans, including John McCain, Lindsey Graham, Jeff Flake, and Lisa Murkowski. The latest example is Trump's public feud with Corker, began nearly two months ago, getting more tense this past week. Corker serves on four Senate committees and is widely respected by lawmakers in both parties, especially for his work on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Last month, Corker decided to leave Capitol Hill, deciding he's not running for re-election. Corker says it's supposed to be a legislature of citizens and that two terms is enough for him. Senators tend to speak more freely when they know they're out the door. They no longer have to toe the party line. They no longer have to pretend to support their party's president. They no longer have to avoid saying something that might cost them votes or donors or the support of their own party. Bob Corker now has a lot of credibility and very little to lose, but he's also still a man who chooses his words very carefully. He's known for that. So it was not recklessness that prompted Corker to warn this week that Trump's recklessness could put the country, quote, on the path to World War III. This isn't political hyperbole. This is the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee warning us that this president is leading us toward a cataclysmic Third World War. Corker had seen enough of Trump by August when he witnessed Trump's response to the deadly white nationalist march in Charlottesville, Virginia. That is when Corker told an interview, the president has not yet been able to demonstrate the stability nor some of the competence he needs to be successful. Trump is nothing if not vengeful. Corker begged me to endorse him, tweeted Trump, adding, I said no, N-O in all caps. Trump tweeted Corker said he could not succeed without my endorsement. Didn't have the guts to run, wrote the tweeter-in-chief. But Corker also has Twitter. It's a shame, wrote Corker, the White House has become an adult daycare center. Corker's chief of staff denies Trump had refused an endorsement. He says Trump was doing the asking, asking Corker to stay in the race and run for re-election. Corker accused Trump of running a reality show instead of a country, quote, like he's doing The Apprentice or something. He accused Trump of putting on an act, adding, he concerns me. In an interview, Corker said, I know for a fact that every single day at the White House, it's a situation of trying to control him. And although Corker is the only Republican pointing out that the emperor has no clothes, other Republicans are now at least listening because Corker has more friends in the Senate than does Trump. 
Corker says there are a lot of Republicans in Congress who feel as he does. Quoting again, the vast majority of our caucus understand what we're dealing with here. The question remains, but will they do anything about it? If you know anyone who doubts the Russians could have tipped the election through social media, you can now show them with confidence that is exactly what Russia did. We knew that one Russian troll farm had purchased 3,000 ads, but we now know Russian propaganda may have been shared hundreds of millions of times in the campaign and on Election Day. Facebook says ads posted by Russian operatives reached 10 million users. Even if only a small percentage of that many readers changed their votes because of Russian propaganda disguised as news, it would have been enough to tip a very close race. A Columbia University social media analyst says the ads could have been seen billions of times. And that calculation does not include the other individual Russian accounts that simply posted memes or the number of people reached by those posts. You would recognize a few of these ads and memes attacking Hillary with one meme praising Trump with another, each seen by hundreds of millions of people. They appear to have been posted by something called Blacktivist, a group called Heart of Texas, LGBT United, a group called Secured Borders, and another called Being Patriotic, the United Muslims of America, and Defend the Second, and each one of those a front for a Russian troll. It's a mixed bag of phony groups in an attempt to inflame both sides in the United States culture wars, inciting both Muslims and those who would keep them out. There were even fake Black Lives Matter ads posted in Baltimore and Ferguson to inflame people. But the ads were also bait to make possible the targeting of special blocks of voters. Through the likes and shares, the Russians were able to find and target voters with the ads that would most appeal to that voter to get them to vote for Trump instead of Hillary or to take an even stronger stand on a particular divisive issue. The Secured Borders account referred to Clinton as Killary, calling Trump the only viable option. Hitting another hot button, Secured Borders posted a painting of Trump in the Oval Office in a Santa suit, promising, quote, we are going to say Merry Christmas again. But it wasn't an American group called Secured Borders. It was from Russia and not with love. The group Being Patriotic contrasted caring for refugees against caring for what it called 50,000 homeless veterans. Both Secured Voters and Being Patriotic organized public rallies against Hillary. They were Russian ads supporting Trump, Jill Stein, and Bernie Sanders, but none for Clinton. Again, the goal was division. These posts from just those six accounts were liked and shared about 340 million times during our election cycle according to research at Columbia University. That's more people than were reached by the 470 Russian troll farm accounts Facebook says it removed. Facebook now says it's investigating more than 2,000 other suspicious accounts. But we now know that some of the Russian ads that ran on Facebook also appeared on its sister app, Instagram. We do not yet know how many sets of eyes those ads reached. That Columbia researcher tells the Washington Post, it's social media marketing at an expert level. This is very well executed. But wait, there's more. Now Google is also a crime scene. We now know that Google was also a platform for Russian operatives, including Google Search, Gmail, DoubleClick, and YouTube. The Russians chose well since Google has the biggest advertising business on the Internet, and its YouTube is the world's biggest online video site. And the tens of thousands of dollars spent on ads there do not appear to be from the same Russian troll farm that purchased ads on Facebook and Instagram. And some of the YouTube videos bashing Clinton, of course, were ultimately linked to Facebook. Twitter, meanwhile, says it shut down over 200 accounts from just that one Russian troll farm and says it sold over $274,000 worth of ads to the Russian propaganda news outlet RT. RT also bought a lot of ads on YouTube. The role of social media in now what appears to have been a major ongoing attack by Russia is becoming more clear. The size and scope of that Russian attack is greater than we knew, more than we expected to find. What isn't clear is why the big social media companies have dragged their feet on helping the country get to the bottom of this attack. Facebook, which has known about the Russian ad since June of last year and was warned by Obama about it in November, 
continued to deny it played any role, however accidental, in the Russian attack. The Wall Street Journal reports that in its April report on election influence, Facebook had cut out every single reference to Russia, cutting the 13-page report by several pages. Facebook continued to deny it knew anything in May and denied it again in July. It wasn't until mid-September of this year that Facebook admitted the existence of a Russian ad campaign on its platform. Facebook's repeated, untruthful denials of Russian hijinks have delayed the investigation of the use of social media by months. And it's not just Facebook. Google and Twitter have been equally uncooperative and still are not providing the level of information we're getting from journalists, especially journalists at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal, who've done the research no one else would do or even discuss. We also now know, thanks to the Wall Street Journal, it was Russian hackers who stole highly classified information from the National Security Agency. Thanks to that attack, Russia learned how the U.S. has been defending against cyber attacks and how the U.S. gets into the computer networks of foreign countries, as the U.S. did in its surveillance of Iran's nuclear program. We now know the Russian hackers got that security information from a contractor's home computer, a contractor who had used Kaspersky antivirus software. Kaspersky is a software company with ties to Russian intelligence. Now, Forbes reports that the Trump administration's tech support people believe the private cell phone of Chief of Staff John Kelly was also compromised by hackers. There's no evidence yet that the hackers were Russian. Not yet. It was back in December when General Kelly was having trouble updating software on his phone and eventually reported it to Trump's IT staff. They found malicious software and gave Kelly a new phone. But over the weeks or months that Kelly was having phone problems, whoever was at the other end of that software might have remotely activated his phone's camera or its microphone or tracked him using its GPS signal. Last month, the White House banned personal devices on anyone anywhere in the West Wing because of Kelly's breach. The phones and tablets and laptops now go into lockers. And it wouldn't necessarily just be Kelly. We also recently learned that Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, and other members of the Trump White House may have been using personal email accounts for government business, possibly exposing that material to hackers. Secretary Clinton's use of a private email server was a centerpiece of the Trump campaign. Jared and Ivanka have since rerouted their personal email accounts to computers at the Trump Organization. That is also concerning since the email shift took place just after special counsel Robert Mueller had asked the White House to turn over records, emails, related to the Russia investigation. It was just after Congressman Elijah Cummings of the House Oversight Committee told Kushner to save those emails. That not only again blurs the line between Trump's business and our government, it means possible evidence is no longer on White House computers. It's at Trump's company. It had been barely a week since the Senate Intelligence Committee informed Kushner it was concerned he didn't mention the private email account after they'd asked him to turn over all of his emails. As for the special counsel's investigation into the Russian attack and whether the Trump campaign was involved, Reuters reports investigators are now poring over the dossier assembled by ex-British spy Christopher Steele. It was that 35-page document, commissioned first by Republicans and then by Democrats, that appears to have launched the FBI's investigation. Using assembled intelligence, including memos, the Steele dossier outlines evidence the Trump campaign conspired with Russia to tip the election and that Trump paid Russian hookers to urinate on a hotel bed once occupied by Mr. and Mrs. Obama. The salacious stuff has not yet been confirmed, to our knowledge, but there's been substantiation for a lot of the rest. Nothing has been disproven. Steele's work is highly respected, and at least four U.S. intelligence agencies say they take it seriously, in addition to the FBI. It was Steele's report that first proposed that Russia had interfered which is now a widely accepted fact. CNN now reports that Mueller's investigators have already met with Steele himself, although Steele has yet to meet with the Senate Intelligence Committee, which has also expressed keen interest in asking some questions. And then there's the counter-investigation, the investigation to try to discredit the Steele dossier, which Trump has called totally made up. 
The counter-investigation is led by a name you've heard before, House Intelligence Committee Chairman and Republican California Congressman Devin Nunes. He's the guy caught slipping into the White House grounds at night to try to get the non-existent proof to back Trump's claim that Obama had bugged Trump Towers. Nunes is still being investigated by the House Ethics Committee for possibly leaking classified information. That embarrassing incident forced Nunes into recusing himself from the Trump-Russia investigation his committee is conducting. But he never really did. A big Trump supporter and member of the transition team, Nunes has on his own issued subpoenas to our intelligence agencies to try to prove the Obama White House unmasked Trump campaign officials caught up in the wiretaps of Russian operatives. That was in May, and that's been disproven. Nunez is out to make the Trump scandal into an Obama scandal. In August, Nunez again on his own subpoenaed the FBI and the Justice Department for documents related to the Steele dossier, which Nunez would also very much like to discredit. Nunez did this without telling any of the Democrats on his committee what he was up to. And now to further that effort, and again behind the backs of Democrats on the committee, Nunez has subpoenaed the company that hired Christopher Steele to gather that intelligence on Trump, first for the Republicans and than for the Democrats. All these subpoenas from a committee chairman who is supposedly recused from the Russia investigation, a disgraced congressman who's gone rogue in the name of Donald J. Trump. We'll get to Harvey Weinstein later, but first, Trump strangles Obamacare, the gun debate, the national anthem brouhaha, and Bob Seska in the California fire zone. After this, autumn is a great time to start bringing life and color indoors. Embrace the season, and I'll bet you know someone who loves everything from fall colors to pumpkin spice. That's why it's a perfect time to go to proflowers.com and check out their best-selling cinnamon cider roses, a long-lasting bouquet that's perfect for any occasion this fall. Or check out their 100 autumn blooms, or even a dozen of their autumn roses. And if you choose any of those things, for $29 or more, Pro Flowers will take 20% off the price. 20% just because you heard about it here. And remember, Pro Flowers are guaranteed to stay fresh for at least seven days or your money back. As always, you pick the delivery date. Pro Flowers gives you more bloom for your buck. Big, beautiful flowers with long, healthy stems. Again, get 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more when you go to proflowers.com and use our code REALM at checkout. That's R-E-L-M in the discount code box when you check out at proflowers.com. Thank you for using my sponsors and for supporting this free news through the PayPal button at buzzburbank.com. Trump has said numerous times that he and the Republicans should just let Obamacare implode on its own. Again, pay more attention to what he does than what he says. Independent analysis shows Obamacare has been working and would continue to work if no one messed with it. So Trump has been working to make Obamacare implode, chipping away at it wherever he can. On Tuesday, he tweeted, Since Congress can't get its act together on health care, I will be using the power of the pen to give great health care to many people, fast. In a new executive order, Trump's telling three government agencies to rewrite the health insurance rules that undermine the goal of good coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. He's splitting up the marketplace, once again allowing bare-bones policies through group insurance. It means healthy people would buy the bargain insurance, leaving the sickest citizens in the better plans, forcing up the cost of those better plans even more. The rule change would also let companies sell across state lines, supposedly to increase competition. That means, based on the insurance laws of its home state, a company in a state with few regulations could undercut companies in states with stricter regulations. It means people in states with tough insurance rules would no longer be protected by those rules. The insurance companies have shown little interest in this. They haven't bothered with it in the few states where crossing state lines is already legal. And going interstate would make it harder for insurance companies to set up their networks of doctors. And Trump's order would affect millions of Americans. He was expected to sign it this week or next. Trump says he still wants to repeal Obamacare entirely, which he says he will try to do again next year. But he says negotiating with Democrats to, quote, see if I can get a health care plan that's even better. Democrats say they will not be a part of repealing Obamacare. Trump summed up his feelings on health care last week by saying, 
I don't want to focus on fixing somebody's back or their knee or something. But it was the rule change denounced last week that's gotten the most attention. The Obamacare rule that employers have to offer coverage that includes birth control at no extra cost. Under the new rule, an employer can now exclude birth control coverage if the employer feels it goes against their religion. Under the new Trump rule, more than 120,000 women will definitely lose coverage and likely many more. Those women will now be paying all birth control costs out of their own pockets, picking up the cost of the employer's religious beliefs. There has been a rush on long-acting birth control since this story broke, including IUDs. Trump's order removing guaranteed birth control for tens of thousands of women comes just as teen pregnancy hits an all-time low, mostly thanks to the availability of birth control. Trump's order could mean the very thing he and other Republicans say they don't want, more abortions due to less available birth control, according to research at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. That study found that with free birth control, unplanned pregnancies and abortions fell by 62 to 78 percent. Another study found that Planned Parenthood helped prevent 140,000 abortions within its service areas by providing birth control. The state of Washington is now suing the Trump administration over its removal of guaranteed birth control. The state says Trump's order violates the First Amendment by forcing one person's religious practice onto another and that it also violates the Civil Rights Act. The ACLU is also suing the administration over this, also claiming a First Amendment violation. The manufacture of rifles in this country is up 150% over the past 10 years. The M16 rifles American soldiers used in Vietnam morphed into the civilian AR-15, AR as in assault rifle. The AR-15 is now one of the most popular guns in the U.S., with Americans buying as many as 10 million of them. One such owner was gambler Stephen Paddock, who for around 100 bucks each modified his AR-15s with a bump stock to make them fire like an automatic weapon and then used them in the killing of 58 people in Las Vegas. Paddock had spent $50,000 on weapons, including rifles replicating Russia's military AK-47. Paul Ryan, who was paraquoted in my last report as saying he had no plans to bring a gun control bill to a vote anytime soon, modified his position like an AR-15 later that day. Ryan said House Republicans would look into the legality of bump stocks. Quoting Ryan, I think we're quickly coming up to speed with what this is. Clearly, he added, after the latest slaughter, that's something we need to look into. The chairman of the House Judiciary Committee said, we're going to look at the issue. An Illinois Republican declared that bump stocks violate the spirit, if not the letter, of the law that bans automatic weapons, saying they, quote, have no place in a civilized society. It was a Republican lawmaker from Florida who introduced a bill the next day to ban bump stocks. Democrats, led by Dianne Feinstein, are backing a similar bill they've just introduced into the House. Even the NRA weighed in, saying the Fed should review the laws that may allow the use of bump stocks. But in that same week, Republicans had again refused to strengthen background checks, an idea supported by 91% of the public, including the vast majority of NRA members. Even the White House, which had said it was too soon to have this conversation, said it would welcome bump stock legislation, but still wants to wait until the cause of the latest mass gun killing has been determined. That's not likely to come soon, since although we've learned much about the shooter, we still haven't learned the motive. White House spokesman Sarah Sanders added, the president's a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. That hasn't changed. The Brady campaign to prevent gun violence has now filed a class action lawsuit against businesses profiting from the sale of bump stocks. Stephen Paddock had at least a dozen of them priced at about 100 bucks a piece. The U.S. has a law against international terrorism, but there is no law against domestic terrorism. No law to cover the Stephen Paddocks, Dylan Roofs, or Timothy McVeigh's. The Obama administration was, in its final days, considering such a law. When asked if that work continues, the Trump administration had no comment. Democrats in both houses have again called for a select commission on gun violence likely to no avail. 
If you've seen the photos of Donald Trump Jr. holding an elephant's severed tail as he stands triumphantly over the rest of the body, if you've seen Don Jr. holding or leaning against a once majestic, now dead African beast, you know he likes hunting in the extreme and the guns he uses on those animals. Or you could just watch the infomercial Jr. was making while Dad was on the campaign trail, making vague and ominous references to Clinton's emails. It was an ad for a gun silencer urging parents to buy gun silencers for the kids. Quoting Trump Jr. from that infomercial, it's about safety. It's about hearing protection. It's a health issue for me, frankly. He also says in the video the silencer will help get, quote, little kids into the game because it greatly reduces recoil. And he concludes, there's nothing bad about it at all. It makes total sense, said the president's eldest son, adding, it's where we should be going. While companies and states and counties and cities continue their battle to curtail climate change and give us cleaner air, the Trump administration continues its efforts to defend the fossil fuels that cause climate change. Trump chose Scott Pruitt to not just run the Environmental Protection Agency, he hired Pruitt to dismantle the EPA. Few people are as qualified as Pruitt to do just that since, as Attorney General of oil-rich Oklahoma, Pruitt had sued the EPA time and again. Now, as EPA Director, Pruitt has announced the war against coal is over. On Tuesday, Pruitt signed a proposal to erase the Obama administration's clean power plan. That policy required power plant operators to either shut down or subsidize clean fuel companies if they felt they needed to continue spewing carbon dioxide. The more they spewed, the more they'd pay. The less they spewed, the less they'd pay, often referred to as cap-and-trade. California, New York, and Massachusetts are now suing the Trump administration over this rollback of clean air rules. Pruitt was among those in the Trump administration highlighted here last week about lavish air travel at taxpayers' expense. Another was Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who we now know has flown on military aircraft seven times in the past seven months at a cost to taxpayers of over $800,000. He's requested military aircraft nine times since he took office in March, including a trip to Europe for his honeymoon. He ultimately withdrew that request, apparently under some pressure. Treasury secretaries usually fly commercial, and Mnuchin's trip to Miami to meet with a Mexican finance minister cost you nearly $44,000, when, as his own people have pointed out, he could have flown commercial for under $700. $44,000 instead. Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price was forced out of his job recently for spending 400000 taxpayer dollars for his chartered flights. And then there's Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, who used a chartered plane several times, including a $12,000 trip to speak to a hockey team in Las Vegas, a snorkeling trip in the Virgin Islands, and more. Zinke has spent more than $58,000 on chartered and military flights. While most of his chartered planes are provided by companies he can help as Interior Secretary, the taxpayers still pick up the bill, including covering his $12,000 trip to visit a petroleum exploration company in Wyoming. He could have flown commercial for about 300 bucks. Veterans Affairs Secretary David Shulkin flew his wife to Europe on the taxpayer's dime. Between curtailing legal immigration and disparaging football players who exercise their free speech rights, Donald Trump is making progress toward making America white again. But beyond his shrinking band of supporters, does anyone believe he's making America great? A poll for the Associated Press says no, and it says it rather loudly. Fewer than one in four Americans believe the country's headed in the right direction. That's down 10 points just in the past month. Between Trump's divisive remarks and his threats to North Korea, it's more of a hell no from the public. Most Republicans now also say the country's headed in the wrong direction. Fewer than 45% of Republicans think we're headed in the right direction. Roughly one in three Republicans think Trump is doing a good job. But more than two-thirds of all Americans disapprove of Trump's work. A CNN poll has Trump's support among women down to 27%. Fewer than one in three American women approve of Donald J. Trump. And he's made no effort to win over or win back any potential supporters. Americans are even more disappointed 
in the Republican-led Congress, only 18% of us think our lawmakers are doing a good job. The opinions we won't hear this week are from commentator Bob Seska, who's been without electricity after the devastating fires in Northern California. At least 23 people are known dead and nearly 380 are missing just in Sonoma County. Over 170,000 acres have burned, destroying 3,500 homes and businesses and devastated California's $58 billion wine industry. Nearly two dozen fires continue to burn throughout California. We are relieved that Bob is fine and that he has this report from Santa Rosa where the fire is only 5% contained. Hi, Buzz. Bob here. I'm uh, I'm reporting to you from Santa Rosa, California, from the uh, northwestern corner of the evacuation zone uh, around the Tubbs Fire, which is the fire that's uh, basically engulfed large sections of residential areas and businesses just north of the city of Santa Rosa. In fact, I'm uh, about 10 feet right now from a, a vineyard. I'm not sure which vineyard it is, but looking across straight out through the windshield of my car, just above the vineyard and about, I would say about three miles to the east are the hills to the east of Santa Rosa. And I can still see uh, uh, white plumes of smoke in the hills. I believe these are the hills that are near the Shiloh Park region, which is north of Santa Rosa. And I believe some of that was a controlled burn to try to contain the fires happening on the other side of that ridgeline. Uh, really terrible and ominous to look at. And uh, it's really kind of scary today simply because the winds are picking up and they're predicting wind gusts of up to 40 miles an hour. Uh, just to put that into context, the wind gusts Sunday night into Monday morning that carried this storm of fire across the Santa Rosa region were around 75 mile an hour wind gusts. Uh, that is uh, between that and the dry weather and the uh, the size of the fire. That just created devastation unlike uh, I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, it looks like certain parts of the residential areas of Santa Rosa were hit by a nuclear bomb. I mean, there's nothing left. I mean, flattened. Uh, no grass, no trees, uh, very little is left of the structures themselves, uh, including uh, places where I used to go. Uh, the Trader Joe's I used to shop for groceries at is has been completely decimated. The Mexican restaurant right next to it, that's been completely decimated. And literally thousands of other structures in this area. Uh, just to give you a sense, the evacuation zone has not changed since uh, early Monday morning. Uh, when the, the fire was initially touched off in the hills to the east of Santa Rosa. And that fire, the 75-mile-an-hour winds, carried that fire, if you're looking at the map of Santa Rosa, uh, diagonally down and to the left from the uh, northeastern area down to the southwestern area. And that southwesternmost area happened to have been the residential area of Santa Rosa. Just utter tragedy. Uh, I would imagine thousands of homes uh, and, and thousands of families, therefore, completely losing everything uh, that they have with maybe whatever they were able to grab uh, as they were being evacuated by first responders. Just utterly terrible. And so we're hoping at this point that the worst of it for the residential part of Santa Rosa uh, has concluded, although these winds today, you never know what's going to happen. If just one burning ember flies in the wrong direction, uh, then it's a whole new crisis touched off here. Uh, meanwhile, PG&E, the electric company out here in uh, Northern California, is uh, working on restoring power to uh, a lot of these areas. I'm still without electricity. Uh, in fact, I'm out in my car right now charging my phone. It's really the only way you can charge your phone, is to just drive around and, and wait for your phone to charge up. Uh, but power should be restored. I talked to a PG&E worker today, and they said power should be restored to my area. They restored power to uh, thousands of other uh, neighbor or, uh, uh, neighbors of mine uh, to the south and, and to the west. So hopefully we're next. Uh, fingers crossed on that. Uh, but also lots of fingers crossed for all the people around here and, and certainly for ourselves uh, because we can just step out of our front door, look up into the mountains, and see the fire. And... As we know from experience, so just a couple of days ago, that fire can move rather quickly if conditions warrant. Uh, so that's uh, that's all I really have at this point, Buzz. So I'll send it back to you for the rest of Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. We look forward to your return to the studio next week. I know he'll have a lot more to say about that experience. 
there is some concern about black lives in Salt Lake City, where police have ruled as justified the killing of a black man as he ran away from police. The man had been stopped for riding his bicycle erratically and without a red safety light. Patrick Harmon, as it turned out, also had an outstanding warrant, so he was placed under arrest. But he ran and was shot three times and died. It speaks volumes that Attorney General Jeff Sessions' Justice Department is attacking affirmative action at a time when white nationalists are marching openly in the streets. Those are the words of the head of a group called American Oversight, which has now just confirmed Sessions' people are investigating the admissions policies at Harvard University. The New York Times indicated this was the case on August 1st of this year, when it was revealed the Justice Department were recruiting outside lawyers to pursue so-called reverse discrimination cases. American Oversight filed a Freedom of Information Act request to the Justice Department, which responded that it does not have to release that information since it's being compiled for, quote, law enforcement purposes. The mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia, says he is looking at all legal options after the latest white nationalist march in his city this past Sunday. Between 40 and 50 white nationalists wearing white shirts again rallied with torches at the foot of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee in the city's Emancipation Park. It was the group's third visit to Charlottesville. It was on that second visit, August 12th, that led to the death of a woman protesting their presence. Mayor Mike Signer tweeted his pledge calling the white shirts neo-Nazi cowards. You're not welcome here, tweeted the mayor. Go home. Then he warned of new legal moves to put a stop to the terrorizing. As the white men in their white shirts marched with their torches, they chanted, You will not replace us. You will not erase us. Vice President Mike Pence hadn't been to an Indianapolis Colts game in three years, but he went to one this past Sunday on his way to a Republican fundraiser in Los Angeles and then on to a meeting in Sacramento to talk about tax reform. Cost to you, the taxpayer, nearly a quarter million dollars, with over 100000 spent on that side trip to Indianapolis, supposedly to watch the Colts play the San Francisco 49ers. After not attending a Colts game in three years, Pence went to the stadium and took his seat with no intention of watching that game. How was the vice president supposed to know that some NFL players and coaches, most of them African-Americans, might take a knee during the national anthem to protest racial injustice? How could he know that? Pence stood with his hand dutifully placed over his heart during the Star-Spangled Banner. The vice president then walked out in dramatic fashion. He never intended to stay for that game. It was all a PR stunt to further besmirch the black athletes who were protesting racial injustice. Pence's press entourage had been told to stay in the vehicles parked in the caravan outside the stadium. This might be a short visit, they were told. On his Twitter account, Pence was perturbed, offended anyone would fail to stand for the national song, instead exercising their right to free expression, which is what our soldiers were maimed and killed to defend. But it was all an act. Of course, our young soldiers did not die for the song or even the flag. They died defending what the flag and the song represent, our constitutional rights with free expression as the First Amendment. It wasn't about the soldiers or the flag or the national anthem. Although the vice president was speaking mostly for himself, some of his words appear to have come from the boss. POTUS and I, he tweeted, will not dignify any event that disrespects our soldiers, our flag, or our national anthem. I'm proud of him, POTUS would tweet later after taking credit for a stunt that Trump admits was planned weeks ago. The trip by Pence was long planned, Trump tweeted. The two of them had made a deal. I asked Pence to leave the stadium if any players kneeled, tweeted Trump, regaining the spotlight as quickly as possible. Trump tweeted that Pence had received great praise for what he had done, meaning praise for what Trump had orchestrated. The Colts spent extra money on security that day because the vice president was going to be there to watch the game or not. The fans had to show up early to get through security for that event. And it was all just a stunt an expensive stunt just to make a point, at a cost to taxpayers of about $100,000, and that's just the airfare, which does not include the cost of Secret Service and all the rest. A one-hour flight on Air Force Two cost $30,000 an hour. Part of the cost of the L.A. leg of Pence's trip will be covered by the Republican National Committee, but the taxpayers will pick up the rest.
NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell this week expressed a preference for standing for the anthem and said he wanted to move past this controversy. But he did not demand or order the players to stand. He said that would be discussed next week when the team owners meet. Some of the owners support the take-a-knee protest. Some haven't taken a stand. Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones says his players will stand or be fired. Trump has tweeted praise of Jones and now also of Goodell. But Trump got it wrong again, and the NFL has called him out on it. It's about time, tweeted Trump. Goodell is finally demanding that all players stand. The NFL now says that claim is, quote, not accurate. And by the way, a modern veterans group, the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, took a survey to find out how our soldiers really feel. Their study found that 98% of the veterans and active service members believe the First Amendment protects the right to peacefully protest. 98%. An impressive 62% believe that, for better or worse, NFL players have the right to protest during a game. There is no majority agreement on Trump's handling of the protests. 43% support Trump's position, more but not a majority. 48% disagree with Trump's position among veterans and troops. Quoting the Veterans Group report, Many people are claiming to speak on behalf of veterans and troops. We wanted to give them the opportunity to speak for themselves. The aforementioned tension with North Korea can only get worse because of Trump's decision to pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. It's a decision opposed by Trump's own national security advisors, the nation's generals, and the general public. Former State Department officials say North Korea will only distrust us more if the U.S. doesn't uphold an agreement with Iran, why would it hold up an agreement with North Korea? In eight consecutive reports, Iran has passed its inspection test to make sure it's upholding its agreement to pause its nuclear development. But Trump plans to decertify Iran's compliance this time because he says they haven't stuck to the agreement in spirit because they've been firing test missiles. Trump's decertification basically kicks the problem over to Congress, where the Republican majority likes the idea of new sanctions against Iran. Iran is not taking this well. Its foreign ministry official says Iran will respond in a harsh and decisive manner if there are any new sanctions. And outside of Trump world, there is concern about angering Iran while we're still dealing with North Korea. New development in the Cuba mystery. Now... U.S. civilians, people just visiting Cuba, have contracted the same symptoms as the U.S. embassy personnel who've been pulled out of Havana and brought back to the States. A handful of Americans in Havana who don't work for the U.S. government are feeling what nearly two dozen of our diplomats felt, according to the State Department. It was less than two weeks ago when the U.S. government warned Americans against traveling to Cuba or to at least stay away from two particular hotels, the Capri and Hotel Nacional. Twenty-two embassy workers had one or more of confusion, headaches, loss of balance, permanent hearing loss, mild traumatic brain injuries, and brain swelling. The State Department is now asking all U.S. citizens who may have been to Cuba and feel they might have been affected to report that to the State Department. The Cuban government continues to strongly deny that it's had anything to do with these mysterious illnesses. Well, the suffering continues in the hurricane-ravaged U.S. territory of Puerto Rico, where the death toll is now 45. 85% of the island's population still has no electricity three weeks after the storm. 40% have no clean water. Two-thirds have no cell service. And this morning, an angry Trump threatened to cut off aid to the more than 3 million Americans there who are now dying from drinking contaminated water. Although remote parts of the island are now easily accessible, FEMA has been there only to hand out paperwork, not bringing generators or even water, food, medicine, or gasoline, just papers. FEMA says it doesn't bring that stuff. FEMA says it's up to Puerto Rico's mayors to come get the water. In the meantime, the families in more isolated areas are forced to choose between going without water, drinking from contaminated streams, or taking water from contaminated EPA Superfund sites. Homeland Security says it cannot extend the Jones Act exemption any longer. That's the law that allows only American ships into American ports, including Puerto Rico's. The food and water on American ships cost double the food and water that foreign ships could bring during the brief 10 days when the Jones Act was lifted for Puerto Rico. 
Now Republican Senators John McCain and Mike Lee have introduced a bill that would let Puerto Rico have a permanent exception to the Jones Act. It was McCain who pressured the White House to give Puerto Rico the exemption in the first place. But for now, the Trump administration is taking away that exemption while Puerto Rico still desperately needs it. This week, the House is voting on a $29 billion aid package for the island and extra disaster money for the other disasters, including the California fires. In the meantime, the desperate victims of Maria, American citizens, are trying to raise money through a GoFundMe page. Since Hurricane Maria, tens of thousands of Puerto Ricans have flown into New York, Orlando, and Miami. Some will move on to Illinois and Pennsylvania, which also have large Puerto Rican populations. The number could reach 100,000. That's on top of the 700,000 who've migrated here since 2015 before the hurricane. The island's population had already shrunk by more than 10%. It will soon be 15%. It could be 20%. What we do not know is how many will return to their homes and how many never will. After Katrina, more than half the population of New Orleans moved elsewhere. Fewer than half of those have since returned. Trump pretty much squirreled his deal with Democrats over the weekend when it comes to undocumented immigrants who were brought into the U.S. as children. They're called dreamers, and there are about 800,000 of them. Angering his own base, Trump met recently with Democratic congressional leaders Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, wherein they all agreed to protect those immigrants from deportation. They also agreed to reasonable measures to make the border more secure. But over the weekend, Trump decided to hold the kids hostage telling Democrats there would be no protection if they don't go to pay for his border wall. The Democrats say then there is no deal. Trump has also made it clear he wants to cut in half legal immigration to the United States and that he wants to make that part of a deal to protect the Dreamers. Texas Republican John Cornyn believes the two issues should not be lumped together, that we should take care of the Dreamers first and tackle the question of legal immigration separately later. Cronin says before limiting legal immigration, we should have a bigger debate about what the level of immigration should be. A new poll for the Associated Press shows four out of five Americans do not favor deporting the people brought here as children. At long last, the very important Harvey Weinstein story. Girls will be Boy Scouts and excessive amounts of cheese in the third and final segment, up next. Pop in a brand new pair of earbuds from TweakedAudio.com and make your ears happy, especially with the Hegon Sport earbuds. The silicone caps help them stay in place. They're water-resistant with a tangle-free cord and a travel pouch. And like other Tweaked Audio products, the Hegon Sport Buds include an inline mic, a gold-plated plug, and, of course, extra gels. The Hegons are orange and gray, but Tweaked Audio's other earbuds come in a range of colors and materials, including wood. You can even get buds in sets of two or three, and Tweaked Audio earbuds just sound better. You really can't beat the prices for this level of quality guaranteed, and the shipping's free anywhere in the world. And because everything does sound better on Tweaked Audio earbuds, you can get an extra one-third off their already great prices if you check out with the code BBNC at tweakedaudio.com. Thank you for supporting this news through tweakedaudio.com, the Amazon link on my page, through all my great sponsors, and through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. The U.S. unemployment rate fell to a long-forgotten 4.2% last month, and Trump's taking the credit, even though the recent mainland hurricanes are the real cause. So the bigger news about jobs from the September numbers is that the country lost 33,000 jobs last month, the biggest one-month loss in seven years. Economists say last month was a blip caused by weather disruptions. Wells Fargo continues to be its own worst enemy, nearly tied with Wells Fargo customers. The now infamous bank says it will refund millions of dollars to about 110,000 customers who were charged loan fees that were the fault of the bank, not the customers. As one example, banks typically charge extra fees for loan application paperwork that wasn't finished in time to qualify for a particular mortgage interest rate. It appears Wells Fargo was to blame for the delays, but it blamed the customers, allowing it to pocket millions of dollars in late fees. The federal government's Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is investigating. 
Some of the refunds have already gone out. The rest are expected by the end of the year. This came up in the recent testimony of former Wells Fargo CEO Tim Sloan, who got scorn from Republicans and Democrat Elizabeth Warren, who told Sloan to his face, at best you are incompetent, at worst you were complicit. That same consumer agency, by the way, the CPFB, is also now cracking down on payday loans, which prey on low-income workers with jaw-dropping interest rates. The short-term loan industry makes nearly $39 billion each year on the backs of low-income workers who live from one payday to the next. About half these loans are rolled over at least 10 times, leading to interest rates as high as 300%. A $500 loan becomes a $1,500 debt, and under the loan agreement, the lender can reach into the borrower's bank account for payment, making it impossible for the borrower to buy groceries, get medical care, or pay their rent. New rules say lenders have to make sure their clients can pay their bills before taking their money, and that lenders cannot make more than three loans in a row to a given customer. There continue to be no rules limiting those outrageous interest rates. Here's an update on Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Tim Murphy, who told his mistress to get an abortion despite his dogged work to outlaw abortions. He resigned, effective a week from Saturday. The award-winning Hollywood production company behind some of Hollywood's biggest and most groundbreaking movies is changing its name. The company's already fired its namesake and founder, Harvey Weinstein, the rich and powerful producer who made the company successful after also running Miramax, where more great movies were made. Winning six times for Best Picture, Harvey Weinstein brought us Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Pulp Fiction, The Crying Game, Shakespeare in Love, Goodwill Hunting, and Clerks, to name a few. But for 27 years, there'd been whispers in Hollywood about Weinstein's sexual harassment of women, as this powerful man also made actors' careers and also snuffed out those careers. Various journalists have chased this story for years, but there was never enough evidence and too few accusers were willing to go on the record. We now know there were confidentiality agreements and intimidating lawyers, as if Weinstein's make-or-break power wasn't intimidating enough. That changed with the publication of a story in the New York Times, which finally had papers to document how Weinstein and his company handled his accusers and more accusers ready to come forward. The documents include lawsuit settlements, emails, and other paperwork from inside both Miramax and the Weinstein Company. As we've seen before, after the first few accusers, then came many. And in Weinstein's case, the star power of the accusers also grew. His alleged victims include Ashley Judd, Rose McGowan, Rosanna Arquette, Mira Sorvino, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Angelina Jolie. But there were also accusations from women who worked behind the scenes at Weinstein's companies. And now over two dozen cases, including three accusations of rape, are now outlined in the New Yorker magazine by journalist Ronan Farrow. The article cites 16 past and present Weinstein co-workers who've confirmed his behavior in the workplace. Many of them said they had to attend meetings, the sole purpose for which was to give Weinstein an opportunity to make moves on an actress. The Weinstein Company had said it did not know about Weinstein's behavior, Despite witnesses who heard from the company's powerful lawyers over the years, Weinstein Company lawyers who were discouraging talk about Weinstein's behavior, the company said it didn't know, but it knew for two years, at least. The Los Angeles Times uncovered confidentiality agreements between Weinstein and a number of women dating back decades, including Weinstein's time at Miramax. The company knew. A lot of Hollywood knew. So much so, Seth MacFarlane joked about Weinstein's ways at the 2013 Oscars. Weinstein was also a major donor and fundraiser for Democratic candidates. Both Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi say they will turn their tens of thousands of dollars in Weinstein donations over to women's organizations. Although Weinstein supported many Democratic presidential candidates with his dollars, none so much as Hillary Clinton, who got more of Weinstein's money than all the others combined. Clinton this week condemned Weinstein's behavior and says she will turn his donations over to charity. President Obama also got donations from Weinstein and calls Weinstein's alleged actions disgusting, but has not addressed the money. Obama's daughter Malia worked as an intern for Weinstein earlier this year. Weinstein's lawyers say he denies all allegations of non-consensual sex, 
while Weinstein himself says he sincerely apologizes. Weinstein is reportedly about to head for Europe to seek treatment for sex addiction. Weinstein's wife, fashion designer Georgina Chapman, says she is now leaving her husband after 10 years of marriage. They have two children, ages 7 and 4. Quoting Chapman, My heart breaks for all the women who've suffered tremendous pain because of these unforgivable actions. New York police have reopened an investigation into Weinstein they had earlier closed for lack of sufficient evidence, calling Weinstein a super predator. That important story in The New Yorker, by the way, was mysteriously turned down by the head of NBC News, who said the story was underdeveloped and not yet reportable. NBC News journalist Ronan Farrow says The New Yorker found his story ready for publication almost immediately. It's a too familiar story in this age of Bill Cosby, Bill O'Reilly, and Roger Ailes at Fox News, Harvey Weinstein, and a president caught bragging about his abuse of women to a giggling, cheerleading Billy Bush. To this, at 240 pounds of muscle, actor Terry Crews has made us laugh in Everybody Hates Chris and now in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But even Terry Crews is not immune to sexual abuse by a powerful Hollywood producer. Cruz says he and his wife were at a Hollywood party just last year when a very powerful executive approached and grabbed Cruz's genitals. Because he could, Cruz says he thought about crushing the guy until he realized the headline might read, 240-pound black man stomps out Hollywood honcho. Cruz says his thoughts were, who's going to believe you? Few. What are the repercussions? Many. Do you want to work again? Yes. Are you prepared to be ostracized? No. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why sexual harassment is illegal. Because women and men want to work again. Cruz isn't saying who it was, partly because the producer called the next day to apologize after Cruz had told everyone he knew about what had happened. But quoting Cruz, he knows who he is. But sometimes you have to wait and compare notes with others who have been victimized to gain a position of strength. Cruz also says he spoke up about this because he got a taste of post-traumatic stress when the Weinstein stories came out. The shame of Hollywood is the shame of us all. Men with power to make and break careers don't just exist in Hollywood, politics, or at Fox News. They exist in every industry, and the years of not speaking about it have not helped. Put Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford in an action sequel and you have a box office bonanza. Their sci-fi movie Blade Runner 2049 sold nearly $32 million worth of tickets this past weekend. The Mountain Between Us was second with a these days paltry $10 million. Now that everyone who wanted to has seen it, it has finally fallen to third place. Girls will be Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts of America announced yesterday that girls can soon become Cub Scouts in all-girl dens. Much to the chagrin of the Girl Scouts, BSA will have a separate program for older girls starting in 2019, which means girls will then be eligible to become Eagle Scouts. Both the BSA and the Girl Scouts have been struggling with declining membership. The state health director is now facing involuntary manslaughter and other felonies, including obstruction of justice over the lead-poisoned drinking water in Flint, Michigan. Obstruction alone could put Dr. Eden Wells behind bars for five years. But she and five other past and present officials at the state and local level are also being held criminally responsible for the death of 85-year-old Robert Skidmore, who died of Legionnaire's disease. A dozen people died in that outbreak of Legionnaires, also blamed on the decision to switch Flint to a water source that would leach lead from the city's water lines and into its citizens' bloodstreams. Michigan is now spending $87 billion to replace 18,000 contaminated pipes over the next two and a quarter years. Sixteen past and present state and local officials are now facing charges over the contamination of Flint's drinking water. When you give to a food bank, be sure the foods have not outlived their expiration dates. A food bank in Cardiff, Wales, just got a donation that included a can of green giant sweet corn and a can of Del Monte carrots that date back to the 1980s. Useless. But there might be some value in one other expired food item. A can of Heinz Q10. 
kidney soup. It's been over 35 years since Heinz made that flavor for the Welsh or anyone else. And this particular kidney soup can dated back nearly a half century. It was canned 46 years ago. It's priced, the sticker on top of the can, in a currency that hasn't been used in years. And it might mean usable cash for the food bank, since that odd piece of history might actually be worth something. The manager of the eatery known as Nellie's in the Long Island town of Hicksville watched a video that showed a man with surprising culinary skills. After seeing it, Will, the manager, said he was working that pot like a pro. He was shifting the food, moving it around, making sure it was heated evenly. Admiring the cook's work, the manager said he was cooking up a storm. He sautéed some chicken and some shrimp. The way he handled that pan, man, that dude had some skills. Nellie, the owner of the restaurant, agrees, adding, he used saran wrap the way I use saran wrap, you know, like a pro. And then the folks at Nellie's watched the video that showed this kitchen prodigy cleaning up his mess, washing the pans and utensils, wiping down the griddle, and sweeping up any crumbs he'd left on the floor. Nellie and Will didn't know about the cook's mad skills until they opened the place one morning to find some food had been taken, along with about a hundred bucks from the cash register, which had been smashed open with a hammer. That's when they rolled back the security video and witnessed an amazing cook and an amazing crook. There was a prison break in Canada last week. Two women in their early 20s jumped the fence at the Edmonton Institution for Women and got away. They made an odd choice in their bid for freedom. They checked into a room at SideQuest's Adventures, where the players have a set amount of time to figure out how to escape from a very confined space. It's called an escape room. After escaping the confinement of prison, the women willingly entered a room where they again ultimately had to escape. They never got a chance for that second escape. A police officer showed up and asked if a couple of women had just checked in. The women have now been returned to government confinement, where their escape time limit is now much longer. Is there such a thing as too much cheese? Apparently, in England, police stopped a van after it was found to be carrying an excessive amount of cheese. Police say the vehicle was 41% over its weight limit, toting nearly 3,000 pounds more cheese than it is permitted to carry. 2,822 pounds too much, to be exact. The driver was told he could proceed once the excess had been removed. Or eaten? And finally, a Baltimore high school was evacuated last week and five people were taken to hospitals after the report of a strange odor on the third floor. The fire department's hazmat team arrived and performed extensive tests. The source of the odor was found to be one of those wall-mounted automatic air fresheners, which was loaded with pumpkin spice. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.